welcome to a special bonus episode of Screaming Through the Ages. Now, this is going to be part of my new format changes going forward, and I would definitely talk more about those in the future. But, you know, I put out some feelers to see if people would rather hear reviews on, you know, newer TV shows and movies as they're coming out and get them out as quickly as possible. Or if I want to wait for a full episode to come out and attach them on there. I think the response was overwhelmingly to just release them as their own little episode. So what I've got here is going to be a very short episode. And I'm going to be talking about Skull Island, the new animated King Kong show that dropped on Netflix on Thursday, the 22nd, I believe. Yes, it was Thursday, June 22nd, and I this just caught my eye. I had no idea this was coming out. I was on Netflix watching something else and saw this pop up, and it looked pretty cool. It's definitely in that anime style, but it's done by, you know, Legendary Pictures, who own the current MonsterVerse, you know, Warner Brothers and Legendary have their current monster verse type things where they have, you know, Godzilla 2014 and um, Kong Skull Island and Godzilla King of the Monsters and Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong. I always get those confused. But this is a very short show, and this is unfortunately what Netflix does with a lot of the kids shows. I remember and I don't I hesitate to call this a kids show, but I know they do this a lot with anime, too. It's just something they do with animated stuff. They did it with Voltron, I remember, and it was infuriating. Because you'll get these shows, and you'll get eight episodes or six episodes, and they'll only be like 20 to 25 minutes long. And then you'll have to wait a year or six months or something. I remember the Voltron thing is they like split it in half, and you got six episodes here and like six episodes down the line. So really, this Skull Island show for the first season came out to only about four hours. You know, total time if you're watching it. It was eight episodes, ran for anywhere between 20, 25 minutes. And let me just comment on that as I like the idea that we can do shows for different number of episodes as, you know, as we moved away from the TV model, if we want to do 10, if we want to do eight, we don't have to make them 30 minutes. They can be 20 minutes. They can be, you know, you see this a lot with longer shows especially in like Netflix and other services where it's like one episode's 45 minutes and another one's an hour and 15 minutes. It's just as long as it needs to be. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case here, but let me go ahead and set this up. So you have Charlie, who is a teenager, I believe said he's 17 in the show, and he's with his dad on this boat. And they're essentially out there looking for cryptids or that kind of mythological creatures that they believe are around. And he's on a boat with his friend Mike and his dad. You've got this whole crew, and that's what they're out in the middle of the ocean doing. They're searching for creatures. Well, then a strange girl is spotted overboard, and she comes aboard. And once she's on that ship, things start to go a little crazy. You know, there are seemingly pirates or something that board their ship trying to get her back and she's in handcuffs and then the something comes out of the ocean 
sinks the ship, and they all end up shipwrecked on an island. And once they get to this island, of course, there are all kinds of creatures, and the show does a really good job at that point of just giving you a vignette of all these weird, you know, abnormal creatures. Like, there's some, they're similar to something that would exist in some cases. For instance, you do get a turtle that has aloe, I believe, on its shell. So it's giant shoots of aloe growing on its shell. You get all kinds of different things throughout the show. And that's essentially the setup. You've got these characters. There are, you know, the seemingly, they seem at the time like they're some kind of pirates or military group. And they're in one corner. And then you have, you know, Charlie and his friend Mike and this girl Annie. And you also have Charlie's dad and someone else who's with him. And that's essentially the characters we get. Now, this show takes a little bit to actually bring Kong to the forefront. And make no mistake that this absolutely through the eight episode runtime, I would say only one episode is really focused on Kong. Or King Kong or whatever you want to call him. But it's not like he takes up the entire running time. A lot of this is just focusing on our characters. And that's good in ways. I mean, I don't think you could make a King Kong series or anything like that where you just focus on the you know the cryptids, the whatever you want to call them. They're on this island, they go through, and some of my favorite things about this are just the creature designs and the visuals. I really like this one that's like a croc, and it's a croc, but it's a little bit mutated. And I love that episode, how that starts out and where what happens to that croc. I also really like the turtle with the aloe on his back. I think that's a really cool design. Uh, later on, we get like a phoenix and then there's like an oversized dog. And I like all those a lot. I think they do a good job of stretching the imagination on things that could exist if they were left in an environment by themselves over years and no one knew about it. And I think that's. King Kong in general, like he's a giant ape. We could assume if, you know, he was left to his own devices out here through all these centuries and stuff. I'm not saying that it would just be King Kong, but that an ape could mutate into being giant. Um, I really like the design of Kong in this as well. I think they did a really good job. I think that's where they did the best job is doing that. The creature designs. The animation style, like I said, is done in the style of an anime. And this production company, Powerhouse Animation Studios, is who I assume is doing most of the work because, you know, the other production companies on this are Legendary Television and Warner Brothers Animation and all that. But I'm guessing Powerhouse has something to do with this, especially since it is a Netflix show. Powerhouse would be known for other Netflix shows like Castlevania, uh, Sice Monos, uh, Blood of Zeus, Master of the Universe, Revelation. I think that's about it, but I don't think they're necessarily solo animators on any of that stuff. But yeah, they are known for working on Netflix shows. And I think they did a good enough job. Sometimes you get some really weird animation choices from Netflix shows. I don't know if they're trying to stand out or do their own thing, but a lot of the times I find their animation styles off-putting. I think this one's pretty good. 
But getting to my point of is this a kid show? Is this not a kid show? I think it's definitely like an older kid show. Now, it's similar in most anime, I feel like, where you're going to get some blood, you're going to get some violence and stuff, but it's nothing that older kids can't handle. It's nothing that like 10, 11, 12 year olds probably can handle this. But I don't think it's something where it's lowest common denominator, where they're like, hey, let's aim this at kids with only kid humor and only this other stuff. I mean, our main character is 17, so it's not like it's a a younger age kid running around. But I mean, you get a point where someone tries to strangle someone else with a vine. You know, they have a vine around their neck. You get, of course, you get monsters getting impaled. You get people getting stabbed. I mean, there's a lot of violence in this. It's not bloody or gory violence for the most part. But it's pretty realistic violence. And it really does. I mean, as much as it could be, like I said, about the creature designs is they're very much grounded in animals that already exist, creatures that already exist and just kind of mutated. So it's very in as much as something as this can be, it's very grounded. It's not necessarily as over the top as you would think, but don't go into this just looking for King Kong. If you can't connect with the characters or anything in this story, it's probably not ultimately going to be with you before you. And I mean, we get I think we get so plotting this out, we get a glimpse of Kong early on, and I think the reveal is done very well. I think they did a perfect reveal for the first time of Kong. And then we get him, I think about midway through the season, maybe a little to the later end of the season, you finally get to see Kong up close. And then there is an entire episode later in the season dedicated to Kong himself. And I would say he's in the finale a lot. But that's it. He's probably in a decent chunk of maybe three episodes. So don't go just for Kong. There are other characters and creatures and stuff you can go in for, but it's not just going to be to watch Kong. And it's so short that it's kind of a bummer. And I'll tell you right now, I mean, I watched, I got through this so quickly because they are shorter episodes. And that's good on one hand, but they create a massive cliffhanger at the end of episode eight. And it's just not fair. And it's just not a cool thing to do. I mean, who wants to wait who knows how long to get another half of this season when you've left it on such a cliffhanger? I mean, that's pretty crappy. We're to the point where it's just hard to tell where it's going to go from there or what's going to happen. They leave a lot of threads kind of untied. And uh, yeah, it's it's not a great ending for, you know, we may never get you never know. I mean, we may never get another season of this. So it it's just and I'm trying to look. I don't see anything here about it getting another season or being designed to be split in two. So this seriously might be it. There have been mixed things I've seen online when I see reviews of this. I've seen people calling it you know, garbage, but I think it's relatively settling around a good to solid score. And I would agree with that, too. A lot of the complaints I saw was with the writing and voice cast and how they're trying to make everything into a joke. And I never felt that way at all. So if you hear those complaints, 
I'm not saying they're not valid, but I, you know, I never got any any of those vibes. And I'm looking right now, I want to go into a little bit of the creator of the series and a little bit into the voice cast. So the guy who's the creator is really a writer in Hollywood. I think he's written some pretty good stuff. Uh, not this first one, but he's worked on his name is Brian Duffield. And he wrote um, <laughs> the Divergent series Insurgent, which is not a good movie. But he did write Jane Got a Gun, which I think is solid. He wrote The Babysitter for Netflix. Um, he wrote Underwater. He wrote the sequel to The Babysitter. Or no, sorry, he was an executive producer on the sequel to The Babysitter. He wrote and directed Spontaneous from 2020, which I really liked. And Love and Monsters, he wrote, which, again, I think where you could see where that could kind of translate into this. Um, he was an executive or he was a producer on Cocaine Bear and then wrote this series and executive produced it. So I think he's been involved with some pretty good stuff and some horror stuff. I mean, you've got the babysitter in there that he wrote. You've got Spontaneous and Love and Monsters is a little bit horror adjacent. But either way, I think he's got a solid foundation and I think he does a good job. And you can <laughs> I mean, Spontaneous is very dire and very um you know, dark at times, but I think there's a sense of humor that still runs through that and through obviously through the babysitter and through love and monsters. I mean, they're not dark, bleak shows or movies, and I think we get that here. So you got to know that going in. This isn't going to take itself super seriously, and I think if it was taking itself over seriously, it wouldn't be any fun. I mean, this is a crazy movie this is an over or this is a crazy show this is a crazy concept in general i think it's good for these things not to take themselves too seriously because if you do i don't think it's going to work a lot of time because that's not to say there's not some good drama and some hard-hitting moments here and i think there are and you get to learn the backstory of these characters and you get to learn a little bit about where they came from and annie has a very interesting background and kong himself has a decently interesting background and i want to temper that too because it's not just comedic i mean kong is not really shown as this friendly and um you know he's not gonna have the best ties with the humans he has a scowl on his face most of the time he's on screen i mean he's not this gentle giant creature he's very much he's in it and he is an intense creature and he doesn't kind of go that direction so it's not like they're making Kong out to be just this friendly giant. So I do like that. They're not like making it kidly in that way. I'm thinking about the kid friendly Godzilla show from the seventies, late seventies. I think that Hanna-Barbera did. It's not like that at all. It's not like the Godzilla animated series from the late nineties. It's that kind of extended on from the movie. It's very much a teen to adult aimed show that does do a lot of joking, but I don't think the joking is Marvel one-liner bad, and I don't think it's too much. I don't think there's too much joking. There's some really serious elements in here, and for me to read feedback that this just treats everything like a joke, I didn't understand that at all. Anyway, let's go into the cast a little bit here, and I wasn't sure who played Charlie, Nicholas Cantu. I had never heard of him before. You had Darren Bennett playing Mike, which, again, this isn't somebody that I had ever heard of. 
you've got Benjamin Bratt playing Cap, who is Charlie's dad. You got my Whitman who plays Annie. I always think of my from Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which is one of my favorite movies ever. But she's been in a ton of voice acting roles and normal acting roles. And you've got Betty Gilpin from The Hunt, who is here to play the character of Irene. And then we have Phil Lamar, who plays someone who works with Irene is on Irene's crew. And that's really the main cast in the I mean, there are other people for sure. But it's a pretty decent cast with like Betty Gilpin and Benjamin Bratt, my Whitman. Phil Lamar, of course, is in just about anything, but I think it's a solid cast and you do hear the familiar voices as you're going through. I think they all give good performances. I think the writing's pretty decent. It's not going to sit in the upper echelon of writing or anything like that, but I think it's pretty solid. Overall, and I'm going to close this out here because I think that's about all I have to say on the series. I liked it. I thought it was fun. It's pretty much a fun little distraction. I don't think you're going to have your life changed by this show and be really wanting more. But the way they end it with that cliffhanger, I guess it worked because I'm very curious to see how it ended. It was a really fun day or so that I took running through these episodes and watching them and seeing all the the cool creature designs and how they're going to get out of this situation. So I'd come in probably like a 7.5 or so on Skull Island. I'd say it's definitely worth streaming on Netflix. You can stream it with your older kids for sure. Heck, you might even be able to stream it with your younger kids, depending on their tolerance for that kind of stuff. But Skull Island was enjoyable. I think it's I think it can appeal to both adults and kids. And I think that's when animation is at its best. That is my recommendation on Skull Island. Um, I'd love to hear what you think if you go and check this one out and let me know. It's a very quick watch. You know, it's in the time it would take you to watch two movies. You can support Skull Island today. And uh, yeah, that's going to be a wrap on this mini episode. Like I said, more to come on the future of Screaming Through the Ages and how I'm going to switch some things up. But the next episode will drop on July 3rd, and it will be the 1993 year in review episode that I did with Nathan Bartlebaugh. And I know people love those episodes, and we love recording them and going through it. So that will be the next episode that's coming out. Till then, always give me your feedback. You can follow uh, me over on Twitter at Screaming Ages. You can Join the Facebook group over on Screaming Through the Ages, a horror movie history podcast. Uh, please leave a review and subscribe if you're so inclined. If you're enjoying the show, tell a friend. Just anything to get the word out there about it. But with all the plugs out of the way and that being said, keep your eye on your favorite podcast feed for your next bi-weekly horror movie history lesson.